purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. According to today's guest, Dr. Richard Horowitz, you may not know that you have Lyme disease. Often called the great imitator, Lyme disease can mimic chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, autoimmune conditions, multiple sclerosis, even psychiatric disorders, and dementia. In 2013, the CDC announced that the number of Americans diagnosed with Lyme each year is around 300,000, a number roughly 10 times higher than the previously yearly reported numbers. Yet while the number of cases continue to grow, there's still a lot of debate about how to diagnose it and how to most effectively treat it. Dr. Horowitz, the founder of the Hudson Valley Healing Arts Center in Hyde Park, New York, has treated more than 12,000 patients for tick-borne diseases over the past 26 years and is considered one of the country's foremost experts on Lyme disease treatment. He's here today on Health Watch to talk about his new book, Why Can't I Get Better? Solving the Mystery of Lyme and Chronic Disease. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Horowitz. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with uh, the most common symptoms of Lyme disease. What what are the hallmark symptoms uh, of the condition? Um, the hallmark symptoms is that, first of all, Lyme is a multi-systemic illness. So what that means is, is that people don't usually just get tired or have pain in a joint, although that's possible. Usually the way it presents is they have a constellation of symptoms that appear together. So, for example, people will come in to me and say, Doc, I'm tired some days, not as tired other days. The symptoms are coming and going. I have a stiff neck. I have a headache. I have light sensitivity and sound sensitivity. I'm dizzy. Memory concentration problems where I walk into a room and I can't remember why I'm walking in. I'm reversing letters and numbers. Um, I have aches and pains all over my body, in my muscles and joints, and they migrate. And that's one of the hallmarks, actually, of Lyme, is this migratory component to the aches and pains of the muscle and joints, and even the neuropathy, the tingling, numbness, and burning sensations people get tends to come and go and migrate. So if you've got this type of a multi-systemic illness where it comes and it goes with this constellation of symptoms that migrate, um, you might have taken antibiotics for an unrelated infection, and you say to your doctor, you know, I feel a lot better. My muscle and joint pain got better. My energy's better. You stop the antibiotics and you feel worse. Or on the other hand, you go ahead and take antibiotics and you feel worse. That's called a Herxheimer reaction. That's when people, you're killing off the bugs and people feel worse. And finally, someone will report that around their menstrual cycle, uh, they feel much worse right before, during, or after their cycle. So from a, a clinical perspective, and it's a clinical diagnosis, and people need to understand this because, unfortunately, the tests are very unreliable. So you're dealing with the number one vector-borne spreading epidemic in the world, as you said, mimicking every disease out there, and we don't have reliable tests. So it's important to understand the symptoms and especially the constellation the way I was just describing it. And, and when you say migratory pain, what you mean by that is that the pain is not fixed to a specific location but moves around the body over time, correct? Correct. It, it would be that someone might 
might come in and say, my shoulder is hurting on my left side, and three days later, my elbow hurts on my right side, and two days later, my left knee hurts. It's roving around the body, and that doesn't usually happen with osteoarthritis or other forms of arthritis. And the same thing with the tingling sensations. If you have carpal tunnel syndrome uh, from using the computer too much, you get the tingling in your hands, but it stays there. It doesn't move around your body. And how often do you see people in your clinic, Dr. Horowitz, that don't remember being bit by a tick, but yet are diagnosed ultimately with Lyme? Oh, I would say the, at least half of the people who come to me do not remember a tick bite. And, and the problem is, is that the ticks are so small, the nymphal ticks are the size of a pinhead. So uh, those, those come out in the springtime. Now the adults are out later in the year, uh, which are easier to see. Uh, but the, the ticks are very small, and, and people seem to think that you know, they always get this classical bullseye rash that people talk about with Lyme. We only see the rash in about 50% of the people. Uh, that comes from some of the Lyme uh, vaccination studies they had done years ago. And even if you do get a rash, half of them don't look like bullseyes. They can look like a solid red spreading rash, which could be mistaken for a, an infection in the skin like a cellulitis or a spider bite. I, I hear those stories all the time. One of the really interesting parts in, in your book, Why Can't I Get Better, uh, was your description of this debate or controversy between the two different Lyme associations. Can, can you talk about how, they're, how they are on polar opposite ends of how to address the condition and why that is the case? Yeah, it's a big problem because if you go to a doctor um, and you think that you may have Lyme disease, the problem is is that there are two standards of care right now for treating and diagnosing this disease. One standard of care is by the Infectious Disease Society of America, or the IDSA, and some of these infectious disease doctors um, will tell you that the disease is easily diagnosed, the blood tests are reliable, and 30 days of antibiotics cures it. Um, then there's another group the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, ILADS.org, ILADS.org, and I was one of the founding members of that organization. We have guidelines that have been published in the medical literature, and it has the opposite thing to say. It says, in fact, that the blood tests are not reliable and that it can persist in the body after 30 days. So depending on the doctor you go to, you could be quite confused as a patient because you're going to hear two separate things. So these kind of controversies in medicine, they've existed from time immemorial. If you go back, and this is in my book, Through the History of Medicine, and you look at Dr. Semmelweis, who was in OBGYN in the 1800s, he told other doctors to wash their hands before delivering babies because the outcome was better and the women didn't die as often, and uh, he was ridiculed and basically committed suicide. And uh, Dr. Barry Marshall from Australia back in the 60s, uh, he found Helicobacter pylori, an organism in the stomach that was causing ulcers. Prior to that, we were taking out people's stomachs for ulcers. Uh, We were telling them to drink gallons of milk. So these kind of examples that medicine is constantly changing and that there are paradigm shifts that are happening all the time, that's what we're going to see with Lyme disease, and that's what my book is really addressing, is that we need a paradigm shift, not just for Lyme disease, but really for all chronic illness, because the elephant in the room that no one's addressing is that when you look at all the chronic diseases we're exposed to in the 21st century, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, autoimmune diseases, but also an epidemic of Alzheimer's that supposedly is going to break the healthcare system financially by 2030. We've got an autism epidemic where one in 88 children is coming down with autism. We have a cancer epidemic where one in three women, one in two men may get it in their lifetime. No one has a model for chronic disease 
to explain why we have all of these type of epidemics. So the model that's in my book, the 16-point model that I've developed after seeing 12,000 chronically ill people, I believe that this may help to represent a paradigm shift because I'm finding this model works in 90 to 95% of the people who come to me with chronic illness. Um, it definitely helps the Lyme patients who've not gotten benefit. So when we look at this controversy, we see that we can resolve the controversy with the model in the book because the scientific literature that the infectious disease doctors are quoting, these double-blind placebo-controlled trials, we're only looking at Lyme disease. But the people who come to see me, they don't have Lyme disease. They have up to 16 reasons why they're staying ill, and I call that MSIDS, Multiple Systemic Infectious Disease Syndrome. It's like going into a doctor with 16 nails in your foot complaining of foot pain, and if your doctor only pulls out one or two of the nails, you're still going to complain of pain. Your healthcare provider has got to use the 16-point map for your chronic illness to say, well, is it Lyme? Could it be other bacterial infections? Could it be parasites like Babesia, which are now in the ticks? And I would say over half the people I see have Babesia, and they will not get better unless this parasite is cleared from their body. But maybe you've got food allergies or sensitivities. Maybe you have mercury or lead from the environment, environmental toxins. You're not detoxifying well. You're not getting to sleep. There are common denominators that cause an inflammatory reaction in the body, and I find that when you pull out the nails that cause the inflammation, whether it's zinc deficiency, heavy metal toxins, detox problems, getting them to sleep, treating other infections, people do get better. And that was never addressed in these double-blind studies done by the infectious disease doctors that they're quoting. So I think this book will provide an answer so we can move forward. So instead of the groups fighting, we have an answer and we can make people feel better. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today with Dr. Richard Horowitz, the author of Why Can't I Get Better? Solving the Mystery of Lyme and Chronic Disease. So, Dr. Horowitz, before we go a little bit more into your, into your multi-systems model, could you just tell us briefly what you see as the, the problem with the test that is considered the conventional and, and only protocol um, according to the CDC? I know not according to everybody. Right. Well, the, the problem with the protocol is the initial protocol of doing this two-tiered testing, meaning you do first do a test called an ELISA test, and then if that's positive, you do what's called a Western blot. That is the way the CDC told the health departments across the United States to diagnose this disease. In other words, they're initially supposed to use this testing protocol just for health departments to screen epidemiologically large numbers of people. The problem is, is it was adapted by insurance companies and then taken into the general population for doctors to use as guidelines from the insurance companies. The problem is, is if you look on the CDC website, I mean, they recently took it off, but if you look at what they've been saying for years, they basically said it's a clinical diagnosis. I've got all those website links in my book. Um, they sent out a letter to doctors years ago saying, it's a clinical diagnosis. You cannot rely on the lab test. And the reason you can't rely on it is because the first test, the ELISA test, only has about a 50% sensitivity. That means it's only going to pick up about half of the people that you're trying to screen. So what I do is I do more often a Western blot. And even the problem with the Western blot is that there's 100 strains of Lyme disease in the United States there's 300 strains in the world, and the local labs like Questor LabCorp only look for one strain. So I use Igenex Labs in California 
because they do two strains. And I find that when I use some of these specialty labs, the Western blots will show up with a little bit better testing. And the way I explain this to my patients is you can play a game called Lyme Bingo. So in other words, if you do a Western blot, whether it's through your local lab or through a specialty lab, and you get any one of five numbers that comes back on your Western blot, that means bingo, you have Lyme disease, you've been exposed. And those numbers are the 23, the 31, the 34, the 39, and the 8393 bands or proteins. These are very specific numbers on a Western blot that tell you you have been exposed to Lyme at some point in time. So we just have to understand the limitations of the testing. Um, New York State had done a uh, review that they uh, spoke to the CDC about years ago where they looked at people that never had the bullseye rash, and they found that they missed 81% of the people using this two-tiered testing when they did not have the bullseye rash. So it's been published in the medical literature, but unfortunately it's been adapted by insurance companies, and we need to get back to basics that these tests just are not reliable, and you have to know how to make a clinical diagnosis. And you mentioned, Dr. Horowitz, in the book that if you get bit by a tick, there's a chance you could get other illnesses, including even things like cat scratch fever. Can you tell us what the likelihood, if you've been bitten by a tick, that you're getting more than just Lyme disease, but maybe two or three things at the same time? Yes. Um, in fact, it, it's quite common, and it's probably one of the major reasons why people don't get better when they've just been treated for Lyme. What happens is, is the ticks are now containing a large number of other infections. So to give you an example, uh, Babesia, it's a malaria-type parasite. It'll cause day sweats, night sweats, chills, a cough you can't explain, air hunger where you have shortness of breath. If you are a patient who's had Lyme, or even if you're not a patient who's had Lyme, and you have these symptoms, and you go to a doctor and you say, Doc, I'm having these drenching night sweats, well, normally what a doctor should do is to do what's called a differential diagnosis. They should come up with all the possible reasons why you might have these sweats. And around page 68 or 70 in my book, it describes these differential diagnoses that a health provider would look for. So, for example, they have to make sure you don't have an overactive thyroid, hyperthyroidism, that you haven't been to India and have malaria, uh, that you don't have early menopause, that you're not coughing and bringing up blood with the sweats. You don't have tuberculosis. Uh, you don't have large lymph nodes. You don't have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We learn in medicine to do differential diagnosis. But if you've ruled out these other diseases and you're living in a Lyme endemic area, then you need to be tested for Babesia. But we have the same problem with Babesia. There's 100 strains of Babesia in the United States and worldwide, and we're only looking generally for one or two strains, Babesia microti or Babesia duncani wall one. So again, we use IgenX laboratories. We do what's called a fish test. It's an RNA test looking under the microscope, if fluoresces green, if it's there, or we do a DNA test called a PCR, polymerase chain reaction. You have to learn the symptoms of these diseases and how you test for it. And Babesia, this parasite, is one of the most common infections that keeps people sick. But they also can get cat scratch fever. That will give you very bad memory concentration problems and brain fog, a new onset of seizures, very bad eye problems. Your neuropathy, your tingling, numbness, and burning can be much worse with Bartonella. There are mycoplasma species in the ticks, um, viruses now. And in fact, some of the viruses are life-threatening. There's one that's now showing up in New York State called the Powassan virus. It causes a brain swelling 
called Palazzan encephalitis, and up to 30% of the people can die, and that's within 15 minutes of getting a tick bite. So we have these really dangerous co-infections that are found in the ticks, and, and probably the next spread ep- epidemic you're going to see is not even Lyme disease, which is called Borrelia burgdorferi. You're going to see another Lyme-like organism called Borrelia miyamotoi. It's a relapsing fever Borrelia from Japan. We don't have a reliable commercial blood test for this. And it's now being transmitted from the mother ticks directly into the eggs. Normally, the way a mouse or a deer is going to get Lyme is there's a blood meal. The tick is going to pick it up from feeding off of an infected mouse or deer. But with Borrelia miyamotoi, this relapsing fever, the mother passes the bacteria directly into the eggs, which goes to the, the nymphs, you know, and this way you could theoretically get this other form of Borrelia without ever having it feed off a mouse or a deer. So you, you're talking that 6 to 73% of the ticks are going to be now be containing this new organism. We don't have a reliable blood test. It causes bullseye rashes, just like Lyme. It causes a meningitis and, and um, Bell's palsy, just like Lyme. You can get a hemorrhage as a woman or man and die from it, and you can get fetal death and miscarriages. And most women and most people in the United States are not even aware that there is this spreading epidemic under their feet mimicking all these different diseases with unreliable blood tests. And that's why I feel this book is so important because the American public must be educated because doctors are fighting about this. And this book explains in great detail with hundreds of scientific references how you make this diagnosis, what are the pros and cons of these different infections, of how to diagnose and treat them. Um, And again, this is based on 26 years of seeing all these sick people that have gone to 20 doctors and they've not been able to get help. So we've got a big problem. These ticks are containing all these different organisms, and and most people don't even know about it. Um, So we're in for trouble if we don't start putting more research money into this and and finding better ways to test for it. You mentioned in in your 16 part approach that you look at other things also, such as heavy metal exposure or food allergies in terms of a person's recalcitrant chronic symptoms. But in terms of specifically around Lyme disease, how would you say that your your treatment approach differs from the 30-day antibiotic protocol? Well, it varies in a couple of ways. First of all, um, the reason I have to use this MSIDS model is, you know, you can cure Lyme if you get it early on in up to 75% of the cases, if you happen to see a tick bite and get a bullseye rash and treat it with 30 days of doxycycline, um, it can be cured where you do not go on to persistent Lyme. However, there are these 25% of the people who do go on after a tick bite and a rash, um, and those are the people that you need to apply the 16-point model. So one of the things that I do differently is if you only take doxycycline for a tick bite and for Lyme, Lyme has several different forms as far as how it can persist in the body. It has what's called cell wall forms. It has a bacterial cell wall. You need an antibiotic like a penicillin, amoxicillin, or a cephalosporin, like ceftin, omnicef, rocephin, to treat that specific form of Lyme. Then the Lyme can go into what's called a cystic form, how it persists in the body, in dormancy. It's also been called L forms, S forms, cell wall deficient forms. For those forms, you need medicines like Plaquenil, Flagyl, Tinidazole, or even herbs like grapefruit seed extract. And then the Lyme can go inside your cells 
Well, that's where the doxycycline will go, and also macrolide drugs like Zithromax or Biaxin. But if the Lyme has these different forms, and it can shift between these forms, and we now know that it's going in biofilms of the body, uh, biofilms are like the plaque you have on your teeth. The reason you need to go to the dentist and take the plaque off is you can't get rid of the bacteria just brushing because they're protected by the plaque. Well, now they're showing that these Borrelia organisms are surrounded by these biofilms, so the antibiotics may not get into it. So you need to look at biofilm protocols, herbs like serapeptase, EDTA, natokinase, um, baruch. So there's many different herbs, and what we do is we combine the treatment. We hit it with cell wall, cystic, intracellular, and biofilm protocols all at the same time. And we find that it's much more effective. But if you have babesia and you've got these night sweats and day sweats with Lyme, we might want to add a babesia protocol onto your Lyme protocol. So we might want to give you an herb like artemisia or give you a medicine like malarone, which is an anti-malarial medicine. And we find when we combine it by hitting these different organisms at once, we get much, much higher success rates. Um, and then, of course, you've got to look at the 16-point model because if you don't get to sleep and Lyme patients, have a horrible time getting to sleep. If you're listening on this radio program and you're saying, I can't get to sleep at night no matter how many sleep drugs I take and I keep waking up in the middle of the night and I don't know why, and I have this multi-systemic illness with fatigue, aches and pains that move around my body, memory problems, there's a high likelihood you may have Lyme if your doctors ruled you out for other diseases. So you've got to go after the 16 points on the model, um, detoxing the patients. I mean, I've, I've learned, for example, that a lot of the brain difficulties, the memory problems that people have, is not just from bacteria getting in your brain. There are these neurotoxins that Lyme can create and also neurotoxins from the environment, whether it's mold toxins or PCBs, dioxins, plastics, pesticides, heavy metals. These also will cause memory problems, and certain patients can't detoxify them. So interestingly enough, you'll see in the book all these detoxification protocols of how you can get people better without antibiotics, just using herbal protocols, using detox protocols. People need to know that there are many, many ways that they can get better. Another interesting part of the book, Dr. Horowitz, is uh, you mentioned that Lyme is the great imitator. It can look like chronic fatigue syndrome, like fibromyalgia. But one of the diseases that's also needs that relies on a clinical diagnosis that it seems to match up most closely to are the symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Can can you talk about the parallel that's seen between those conditions? Yes, that's that's a great question. Um, I would say that about ninety five percent of the people who come to me who've been diagnosed with MS who have failed the classical drugs for MS, they're called the ABC drugs, Avenux, Betaseron, Copaxone, Rebif. The ones who have failed these regimens, who say I have this multi-systemic illness where it comes and goes and migrates, um, many of these, up to 95%, have Lyme. But what I find is where this MSID 16-point multifactorial model works is I think what we're going to discover in the future for diseases like MS is it's a multifactorial illness. What I find is, for example, and you can look at this in the scientific literature and see it's been published, we find people have vitamin D deficiencies when they come in with Lyme. That's been published on MS. People get chlamydia and ammonia. It's another bacteria that seems to be linked up in the scientific literature to MS. So we may find people have Lyme disease, vitamin D deficiencies, and chlamydia and ammonia. But they also may have mercury exposure. And we find that a large number of people coming to see us, if they do a very simple urine test, 
using DMSA, it's a chelating agent. You do it one time based on your body weight. We're seeing that people have a burden of mercury in their body, and the reason this is important for MS is mercury will go backwards through your nerves into your central nervous system and cause MS-type demyelinating lesions in the central nervous system. So the question for demyelinating diseases like MS it, and I think this is going to be proven to be true in the future because we get most of our MS patients better with this protocol. Is MS multifactorial? Is it, in fact, Lyme, chlamydia pneumonia, vitamin D deficiency, and mercury with maybe other oxidative stress, other free radicals from the environment demyelinating your body? Even Bartonella can cause demyelination. So you've got to look at all these overlapping factors in people causing demyelination. And the problem is if your doctor just does an MRI and sees little white spots on the MRI, that's not, you can't differentiate MS from Lyme unless there are a lot more of these white spots, these demyelinating lesions, and unless they do a spinal tap and tell you that you've got a high amount of markers for MS in your spinal fluid called myelin-based protein oligoclonal bands. But the problem again is even Lyme can cause a certain amount of myelin-basic protein and a clonal band. So Lyme really imitates MS um, in a large number of people. So I think people really need to be on the lookout if you've got an autoimmune disease. And I see the same problem with rheumatoid arthritis. With Lyme, you can get a false positive rheumatoid factor just because your immune system is overstimulated from the Lyme. But there's a marker for rheumatoid arthritis called CCP. If you have CCP antibodies, that is true rheumatoid arthritis. But I've treated rheumatoid patients who've been on methotrexate or prednisone. I've gotten them off those drugs. They were not CCP positive, and they got better with Lyme treatment. So we have to be very careful with autoimmune diseases because one of the hallmarks of Lyme disease, and this is in fact where some of the infectious disease doctors and rheumatologists are correct, Lyme does cause an autoimmune phenomenon. The problem is, is I believe that these autoimmune phenomenon are being driven by bacteria in the body like Lyme and also bacteria like mycoplasma species. They've shown that mycoplasma can also cause autoimmune phenomenon. So, you know, if you go to a rheumatologist and you treat your rheumatoid arthritis with drugs like Plaquenil and minocycline, which is like doxycycline, and you're getting better, they will tell you that it's because you're decreasing the inflammatory response. But I might say, well, yes, you're working on the inflammation, but you also might be hitting bacteria like Lyme and mycoplasma that are both susceptible to these tetracycline-type antibiotics. So I think this is where the paradigm shift in medicine is going to take place. So, you know, if you're a person who's been diagnosed with MS or an autoimmune disease or chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, or you're just not well, you're getting old and you have aches and pains, you're tired, your memory's not working, do not assume that this is just the aches and pains of daily living, you're getting old, you need to know that we're getting these bacteria in our bodies with unreliable testing, we're getting loads of environmental toxins into our body that can cause these same symptoms. Many people's detoxification pathways cannot handle this overload of toxins and that there are solutions for you. So even if you never have Lyme, but you got mycoplasma and Bartonella and chlamydia and heavy metals and your detox systems didn't work and you have food sensitivities and allergies, you could have all of these overlapping problems with hormone disorders, and that would be what I would call non-Lyme MSIDs, meaning you might have eight different reasons why you're feeling your symptoms, and it's not Lyme, but it's still some of the same factors 
on the 16-point model in the book. And, and I believe because we don't have a model for chronic diseases in the United States, that this model needs to be taken by the CDC, the NIH, private funding groups, take this model and do what we did for the Framingham groups years ago to look at cardiovascular diseases. You know, take these people and study them. Doc, Dr. Horowitz, unfortunately we're out of time, but I want to thank you for being on Health Watch today. It was a real pleasure. Much. It was really my pleasure to share this with your listeners. We are talking today with Dr. Richard Horowitz, the author of Why Can't I Get Better? Solving the Mystery of Lyme and Chronic Disease. You've been listening to Health Watch, and if you missed part of today's program, you will be able to later today go to kboo.fm backslash healthwatch or to the iTunes podcast store, and you can put in the word healthwatch, one word, and pull up the entire archive. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine. Next up is Madness Radio. Mm-hmm.